I'm Alex Mosed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. I'm excited to have a guest with me here, Tendai Kapfidze, the chief economist at LendingTree. Uh, Tendai, great to have you with us. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. There's a lot of chatter about just <laughs> what's going on with the economy. Uh, where will our where will uh, GDP come back? How fast can it come back? Inflation, uh, all all the QE that we're seeing, all the fiscal spending uh, and and deficit spending that we're seeing here. What's the headline kind of banner, uh, you know, banner thesis from from your perch as chief economist? And then, and then let's you know let's dig deeper. Yeah, I think the big the big headline this year, obviously, I think is going to be uh, GDP growth uh, is going to be the highest in decades, right? Uh, but the question is, does that GDP growth get us back to where we were pre-pandemic, and does it get us back onto the path that we were on uh, pre-pandemic? I suspect that may not happen. Uh, this year. And even if it does happen, there are other concerns, I think, with the economy, uh, mainly what's happening in the labor market. Uh, we're still down 10 million, maybe 20 million jobs. It depends how you measure it. Um, if you just look at payrolls, we're probably down around 10 million. Uh, if you're looking at all the people who are on the various unemployment programs, we're probably down 20 million. If you look at underemployed people, uh, who you know maybe are working part time when they want full time, uh, maybe gig workers who are not getting the same amount of uh, demand that they were seeing before the crisis. Uh, you're probably looking upwards of 20 million. So I think even if we get robust GDP growth uh, and good acceleration this year, you're still looking at a relatively weak uh, labor market, which means that a lot of people out there are still going to need help. Jim Rickards on the show, you know, a few weeks ago, and you know a lot of what he was talking about is. We shouldn't call it stimulus. You can do quantitative easing as the Fed. You can do, uh, I think his phrase was it for just call it spending, fiscal spending by the government. But, and, and maybe this is to your point, you know, when we get to inflation, but because we see such low velocity, and I guess it's been low for decades at this point, you're not actually seeing a mechanism for the spending uh, and 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 the money supply creation to actually influence, you know, uh, an increase in in GDP, and then and then conversely, you know, helping to solve this kind of big labor market issue. How do you see it? Do you see the 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 fiscal spending, the deficit spending, the QE is as as like uh, as viable or or now semi diluted uh, tools to um, you know? to accelerate growth and and influence that? So what I'll do is I'll separate the two, right? I'll separate the fiscal um, and, the, and the monetary. Um, I think on the fiscal, uh, yeah, you know, some people say you shouldn't uh, call it uh, stimulus. I think they, should, they say you should call it uh, recovery support or something. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Stimulus just sounds like a more fun word to me. You know, stimulus is like, yeah, we're doing something. We're going somewhere, you know, the train is moving. Uh, so, you know, I'm not too hung up on, you know, whether it's called stimulus um, or not. Um, I think, though, that this fiscal part of the spending, um, you know, impacts the economy uh, very directly, right? Especially when it's kind of done in a timely way. Uh, and what I mean by timely way is that 
you know, with the previous fiscal bills, you know, there's some of that money that hasn't been spent, right? Um, so it's one thing for money to be in a bill, it's another thing for money to be actually spent. So I think the money that's actually spent, um, you know, hits the economy uh, pretty quickly and pretty rapidly. Now the question is, how is it that some money is spent and some money is not spent? It's really a function of who's getting the money and what their needs are, right? So for a lot of people who are unemployed, uh, those unemployment checks um, and those stimulus checks are replacing lost income. So those pretty directly turn into spending, right? Uh, but for some people who you know maybe have more income, have savings, um, and businesses that have you know access to other funds, uh, some of that money they're taking it on, but they're using it more as like an insurance policy. Uh, so they're putting that money into savings. And what we saw last year, if we look at the personal savings rate, we have excess savings now of almost two trillion dollars uh, versus where it would have been without. Uh, decline in spending because of the pandemic, and then some of the money uh, coming in from the government. Um, so, you know, you could probably say $2 trillion has been taken out of the economy, even though it's money that people have because they're not spending it um, and they're keeping it in, in savings. So, you know, that's kind of the, the fiscal side. That makes complete sense to me, right? And, and I think there's a lot of reports coming out now about, you know, uh, like we saw in 08, um, where you know, the kind of recovery measures widened the gap, the, the kind of, you know, equity or, or, or income gap or, you know, kind of widens the divide um, even greater. Certainly, I think that's some of what we're seeing here. If you got, yeah, people that um, are still employed, you know, uh, obviously have been affected by COVID, but aren't as down and out as, a, as, as millions of other Americans. They can take these monies that are that are they're either getting checks or they're getting PPP money or they're getting other kind of recovery funds and they're stashing it away, which I think is is why we're not seeing inflation, even though we're seeing huge fiscal spending, huge QE, which we can get to. But you're not seeing the velocity. And, we, and to your point, you need the money to be spent um, in the economy, not just going and, and being um, put into some form of saving. And, and I guess that's the thing I'm seeing is it might not be inflation, but is there such a thing called asset price inflation? Because I feel like we're seeing asset price inflation. It might not be true inflation, but it, it, are we seeing asset price inflation? Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems like it, right? Um, there's not an asset in the world, it looks like to me, um, that hasn't gone up, you know, call it the past six months. Uh, to a year, right? Uh, so that kind of tells you where, you know, a lot of that money uh, is ending up, right? Um, a good bit of it is ending up in the housing market. Um, and we've seen really robust uh, home price growth. The other issues in the housing market, like lack of inventory, and of course, really low interest rates. Uh, but I think some of these $2 trillion, uh, you know, maybe people are using it to uh, pay bigger down payments, which is something that we've seen um, in our data at, at LendingTree. Um, you know, certainly some of it, I guess, is ending up in the stock market. Um, and then some of it is ending up in these new uh, crypto and, and digital markets uh, with, you know, crypt, you know uh, cryptocurrencies um, and now the, uh, the NFTs, uh, which, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, 
I'm, I'm, I'm one person who's glad to say that there's stuff in this world that I just don't understand, and that stuff I just don't understand. Uh, so yeah, certainly there seems to be some asset inflation. I'm seeing it in my world. I've got, I'm screen sharing here. I've got the European um, angel and seed pre-money valuations, and and the chart. I mean, it it just goes. I mean, it's just going up. I mean, it's been going up, but we're seeing it with in in you know in my world with these mid to high growth kind of growth stage tech startups uh, towards second half of last year. Um, we published a report showing um, that all your mid to later stage startups, all the money was flocking <clears throat> to those and their valuations were exploding. Yeah. Now, I think you're actually seeing it trickle down even further. Now, now in the VC community, they're talking about how, how kind of later stage VC funds are looking to write earlier, earlier um, you know, like seed or series A stage checks because the valuations have become so expensive for for the mid to late stage, now that money is 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 now inflating the earlier stage value. So you know, in and and this charts Europe. We did our report on kind of U.S. startups, so you're seeing it certainly in U.S. and European markets, and even these um, more illiquid you know investment vehicles like VC funds, private equity money is a private equity is a wash in money housing market you're talking about. So, you know, bringing it full circle, if we have asset price inflation and if we have the, uh, you know, the mechanisms to kind of arbitrarily spur growth, uh, fiscal spending and, and QE, let's call it, but yeah. that money isn't hitting the velocity. So it's not actually creating increase GDP, right? Or for every dollar you spend, you you get back less than a dollar, maybe way less than a dollar of of um, derivative kind of GDP, GDP spend. Going back to your point on kind of when are we going to, when is GDP going to actually reach kind of like 2019 levels? It, that kind of paints uh, a, a not so good Outlook in the sense of how, how do we get this economy really juiced and back to where it was, and and if our institutions um, have diluted their ability to kind of accelerate that that timeline, that's kind of unfortunate. Is or, or do you see it differently? No, I mean you know I I think probably part of what it is is you know yeah where is the the money going right? Uh, so it's going to. Uh, people who don't need to use it for consumption, so therefore they use it uh, for asset purchases, right? Which is creating, you know, maybe some froth uh, in the asset markets. Uh, so, you know, if you want to boost uh, GDP, which is, you know, one part of gross domestic product, uh, the other way to measure it um, is, you know, a big part of it is consumption. If you want to boost consumption, you have to get money to people with a high propensity to consume, uh, which probably means those are people who do not have um, assets uh, that they hold on to because they use most of their income as consumption. Um, so, you know, it's really a, a question of, um, are you designing um, these stimulus uh, or these monetary policies in a way that funnels the money towards the people who are likely to consume? Um, and it's not an easy problem uh, to solve, right? 
um, which is kind of why if you look at, you know, some of the policies, uh, you know, like the Fed, right, has a hammer, so everything is a nail. Uh, and the only thing they can do is kind of pump money uh, into it, right? And, and part of the challenge, the Fed is trying to figure this out, right? Uh, what they're doing now is they're saying that, you know, one of the reasons there's this big inflation debate uh, is that the Fed is now saying that, you know, the 2% uh, is not an inflation ceiling, it's an inflation average, so they're happy to see inflation uh, run ahead of that level. Um, and what the Fed is also doing is that they're putting more emphasis on the other part of the dual mandate, which is full employment. And they're now saying that full employment is not on the aggregate uh, employment statistics, but it's on the employment statistics of vulnerable groups or previously disadvantaged groups like black unemployment, right? Which is why the Fed is saying we can let inflation run a little bit harder uh, so that we can improve this metric of people who probably have a higher propensity to spend. The challenge is the way they do that is by more kind of fiscal, sorry, more monetary stimulus, which ends up increasing uh, the assets or the wealth of the, of the asset holders, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's not an easy problem to solve. Um, probably the fiscal side is better equipped to solve this than the monetary side. Uh, you know, and then that gets into the questions of uh, inequality um, and tax policy um, and, you know, some of those more complex issues, which then turns into a kind of left right type of debate. Yeah. Oh, it sounds fun. So we've got a couple couple questions from the audience here. Um, <clears throat> first one uh, is, hi, Tendai, should, should I be holding gold, Bitcoin or cash? <laughs> uh, you know, you should probably hold what lets you sleep at night. Uh, you know, probably if you look at, uh, the volatility of those three things, I'd guess cash is the least volatile one. Uh, but you're probably not going to get much, uh, appreciation out of cash, right? Uh, if you get inflation, you might actually get, you know, net depreciation and the real value of your cash. Uh, gold is going to be more volatile than cash. Uh, so you have some opportunity for appreciation, but of course you can lose value. Uh, and then, you know, kind of Bitcoin is the ultimate volatility play. Uh, so, you know, if you can sleep with that kind of volatility, uh, then, you know, that's your choice. I can't tell you what to do. Uh, I can really just kind of tell you what are the characteristics of some of these things you're asking about. Uh, so think about what kind of volatility you're comfortable with, and that will let you know where you can put your money. Okay. And, and last question. Great to have you on the show today. And I think you're making comments on, you know, some of what Lending Tree is seeing in particularly the housing market. Um, so the question here is, do you anticipate the migration out of cities to suburbs and more uh, and and to more rural locations to continue if so will housing price appreciation continue outside the major cities uh yeah so the migration was never a real thing uh it was kind of kind of a media thing it's kind of a story it's a fun story uh the data that we looked at we saw that uh migration of people moving out of cities and we defined those as kind of metropolitan areas uh, into like small towns, which were micropolitan areas, uh, went from like 1.8% uh, in 2019 to like 2.4% in 2020. Most people who move, move within the same city, like 80 something percent. Um, and then like another 13% moved from one big city to another big city. Uh, so there really wasn't a migration out of cities 
um, I guess maybe there was some movement out of downtown cores into uh, suburban areas for more space. Uh, but even that is kind of overplayed. Uh, but in terms of home prices, uh, yeah, I think you'll still see pressure on home prices because there is a supply uh, problem. And the supply problem just got worse, right? Because of all these people who refinanced in 2020 at rock bottom rates, one thing that does is if you have a really low interest rate, it's a mechanism for locking you into your current house. Because if you're having to move, and if moving means you're moving into a new house, but you're also moving into a higher rate mortgage, if we see mortgage rate starts to go up, uh, people are going to want to stay in their houses with their rock bottom mortgage rates. So that's going to reduce uh, the medium to long term supply of housing. So we will continue to see price pressures, certainly uh, this year and probably into next year as well. Wow. Very enlightening, my friend. That's the chief economist from LendingTree, Tendai. Wonderful to have you on the show. Hope you come back again soon. Anytime. Just let me know.